Good morning. All right, you glad to be here? Amen. All right, so um, a couple things before we start and get into uh, what God has put on my heart through the Gospel of Luke. There's a couple of really, really important remembrances that I just want to point out, and then I want us to pray. I think it's really good that we remember certain things, most important people. And so today we remember 9-11. We remember those who lost our lives. And we also remember those first responders that went back into the building and never came out. Their families, loved ones. I just think it's fitting that we take a moment to just pray for our nation and also to remember those. Also, we've said, the world said goodbye to Queen Elizabeth. And uh, I found an interesting quote that she said um, before she passed. I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. Isn't that wonderful? And one day we're going to see the Lord and we're going to lay all of our crowns that he gives us and we're going to lay them back at the feet of Jesus and worship him. So let's just pray. Father, we remember, we are thankful, God, that you never leave us, never forsake us as Mary through the worship reminded us of that, God. And we remember 9-11. We remember those who lost their lives that day and so many, all of us were impacted, but specifically family members and friends that that devastating day, we remember God. And also, God, we remember, Lord Jesus, that you are always with us. And one day, we believe, Jesus, your word to be true, that we are going to lay down our crowns before your feet, God, and worship you forever. God, we pray for our nation. We pray, God, for a little corner of the world here in Mission Viejo, God, that you would bring a sweeping revival. We are desperate need, God, of more of you, less of us and more of you. We want to see a Holy Spirit-filled church, God, a community that we call ourselves believers. Help us to get to a place, God, of total surrender for you, Jesus, not holding anything back. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into this place, God. We want to see an awakening to the good news of Christ. Millions of people coming back to your church because we are longing for the day, God, and we believe that you are coming back again. One thing we desire, one thing we ask, God, that we'd see a massive revival coming back to so many people, not just finding eternal life, but life abundant, Jesus, that you brought us through the cross. God, we thank you. We are believing you're going to do something great this morning, and we ask in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You ready? Have your Bible. You ready? All right, come on. I know it's early. Let's get up. You know, I think sometimes we're waiting for God to show up, and God is waiting for us to wake up. Wake up in the spirit, right? I don't know what it is about worship sometimes Sunday morning. Now, if we had this service Sunday evening, I bet you'd be a lot more alive. You're a little more awake. But let's just throw all that away and just say, God, I want to give you my best. Worship you. I want to listen, and I want to do, God, what you're calling me to do. Amen? Amen. Together? So to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, we're in verses 49 to 59. We'll get to that text in just a second. This series that we're walking through called Choosing Sides is so important, especially in the days that we live with now. Children, teens, young people are looking for truth. They're looking for something of substance. They're also looking for authenticity and a real faith. A person who says, I believe in Jesus, but not so much what we say, but what we do. And I think that God is looking for us. We're going to look in this text. People that don't have it all together. He's looking for people that are wholly available. That'll say, God... I don't have much, but God, I give it all to you. And I just want you to do something with my life that matters before I leave this world. You have to decide today. Quitting is not an option. 
If you're following Jesus Christ for three days or you've been following him for 30 years, I know there have been moments like me, you've probably said, what's the use? It's too hard. This is just too difficult. And quitting on God is just not an option. He's looking for people that will dig their spiritual heels in and say, God, you got me. Take aim. Take action. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm listening today. I want us to go back to the scene that we've been in for the last three weeks. Thousands of people have gathered around Jesus. I want you to see this picture with me because it's so profound. Jesus didn't necessarily come to draw all the crowds. He came to draw anyone that would come. But in this particular context, there are literally, it says, thousands of people. And it says they were trampling over to get to Jesus. Can you imagine that? I mean, literally, can you imagine people by the wayside, people falling, people just wanted to get near him. Now, some people wanted to get near him because they loved him. There was something about Jesus. There was something about him from the inside out. They saw God. They sensed God. They had been waiting for some of them. Some of the Jewish people had been waiting for thousands of generations. One day the Messiah would come. They heard the stories from grandma and grandpa and past generations. They read the Old Testament text. They heard the great rabbis say that one day God will save us. He will save Israel. So they were on their spiritual edge of their seat waiting. And so when Jesus proclaimed in the book of Isaiah, and he literally stood in the temple at age 12 years old, I am the fulfillment that you've been looking for. That was a shocking, shocking declaration. And so some of those people in that crowd, they heard of him. They said he might be the Messiah, but we want to know for sure. And they followed him. And in the crowd, there were those who were skeptics. There were those who were trying to literally entrap him to to murder him, to take his very life. So we got a mix of all those people. Can you see them with me? And some were there saying, let's just bring it all, man. We're going to sell it today. We're going to make money off these crowds. And they had a little flea market off to the side. And there were all kinds of people everywhere. They just wanted to be around him. Six months, six months, most of the commentators believe about that time, Jesus is looming, he's looking at the cross, he's looking in the face of his accusers, ready to lay his life down. I want you to think about the impact of this for a moment. If you had six months, you knew you were gonna be here for six more months, what would you say? What would you do? I bet every word that comes out of your mouth would be for eternity. You would want your loved ones to know the very most important things, and that's where we are with Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus draws a line in the sand. Next week, we're gonna look at chapter 13, verse three, and he, Jesus was really... Face value, he was, get right or get left. You gotta choose who you're gonna follow. And I'm glad that there's no gray area with Jesus about following him. He's either, you're gonna follow me or you're not. I want you to follow me, but the worst way to be is lukewarm following. The worst way to be is, well, I'm not really sure about this and I'll kind of check it out and I'll just, I, I, I give him my life to Jesus, but I'm not ready to surrender everything. Jesus is saying, I want you to just dive in, man, both feet, come on in. And so right here, we find ourselves in this text, chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we're going to look on the screen here and, and read this text. Climb into these pages of Scripture. I, I want us to be in the crowd of the disciples who were there. There were more than 12 disciples who were genuinely following Jesus, but the Im initial 12 were always with him, and some of the women that traveled with him taking care of Jesus. I have come to set the world on fire, Amen. right? And I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. 
and I am under a heavy burden until it's accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me, two against. Two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see the clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here, here comes a shower, and you are right. And when the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher. We don't know anything about that in the last week, do we? And it is. You fools. To the religious people, he's really speaking out now. You know how to interpret the weather, the signs of the earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present times. Why can't you decide for yourselves what is right? When you are on the way to court with your accuser, try to settle the matter before you get there. Otherwise, your accuser may drag you before the judge. Who will hand you over to an officer who will throw you into prison? And if that happens, you won't be free again until you have paid the very last penny. Jesus doesn't say, I've come because I delight to cause division. What he's saying here is the very fact that I am here, I'm asking you to choose. And so when someone chooses, yes, I will follow you. Don't expect everybody to say, that is so great. We are so glad you're going to church. I am so glad you're going to that place at MVCC. I am so glad you're going to Saddleback Church. I'm so glad you're going to this church. or that. I'm so glad you're getting your life together. We know that's not always the case. And Jesus is saying that the very effect the consequence of you giving everything to me don't expect everybody to stand up and cheer and say man we are so glad i will bring division jesus said in this world you will have trouble did he not say that if they hated me they're gonna hate you now not everyone but i don't want you to have these rose colored glasses thinking if you receive me everything's gonna fall into place everyone's gonna love you all of a sudden your mortgage is gonna be paid your kids are gonna be great straight a's never have crooked teeth i mean you're just, your life's gonna be great and it doesn't always work out like that that's jesus is saying i have come and there will bring division it will be a consequence of division because you are choosing to do what is right. And I have to be reminded of this because I will just say from my heart to all of us here, I'm sure we all live in the same boat. There are people in my life that I want to see accept Jesus Christ into their life. I mean, I want them to be saved. I want them to know Jesus personally. And sometimes those folks, some of those folks in my life, they don't want anything to do with that. And sometimes I think, well, maybe it's the way that I'm, sharing the message. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And sometimes I have those thoughts. But the fact of the matter is some people just don't want to come to Christ because they're involved in some type of sin. And some sins are really fun. Some sins, most, every sin is temporary, right? And so there's some comfort zone in that sin. And sometimes people just aren't ready. You keep living the life. You keep sharing the message. And most of all, you keep praying for souls. We've got to pray for souls. We've got to see on the horizon what God sees. And unfortunately, there will be some division even among family members. Second thing is this judgment is coming to the human race. 
I would not be a good pastor to you if I just said, well, I just want everything to work out, have a nice feel-good message. You know, I just want everything to be cool, and I don't really want to offend anybody because if we offend people, then they won't come back and all that nonsense. I want to give you truth. Jesus didn't wait. He didn't say, well, we don't want... Can you imagine Jesus looking at the thousands of people and in his mind he thought, we don't want to lose the crowd, so I won't really rock the boat very much. Can I remind us, Jesus was a boat rocker. Jesus spoke truth. He was truth. He is truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth is not something to fear. Truth will set your life free from the inside out. I don't know if there's anyone here today that's struggling with anything, but God can deliver you from addiction. He can deliver you from those bad thoughts. He can deliver you from negativism. He can live, uh, deliver you from the demonic presence that has been racking you because it may be something you got involved in and there's an open spiritual doorway and you are racked by the enemy. Jesus can free you from that. He's just looking for surrender. There's no formula. There's no, you don't have to give money. You don't have to do certain religious things. You just say, God, I'm willing to renounce everything. I receive you. I love you, God. I have received the cross. I have received your resurrection. I believe it. I don't understand everything in this book, but I understand the truth that you love me. You died for me. You rose again, and you're returning, and I receive that in Jesus' name. He's looking for that. Now, number three is this. He's looking for... Religious people who wear the phylacteries on their forehead. They wear the flowing robes. They carry the Torah in their mind. And they're pointing the finger at everybody else, judging everybody. He's looking at those people square in the eye. And he's saying, religion doesn't do it for you. You must surrender your heart. The biggest thing that Jesus had against these folks is hypocritical living. And I hear that all the time. I'm sure you do. I'm not going to church. Don't anything to do with God because of hypocrites, right? They were in Jesus' day. They will always be in our day until Jesus returns. Listen, this is a warning call. This is a wake-up call. I don't want any of us here at MVCC to get caught up in hypocritical living. Say one thing and do another. Now, what we mean by hypocrite biblically is to intentionally wear a mask. A hypocrite is not someone who makes mistakes. We all make mistakes every day. We all fall. We're all subject, unfortunately, sometimes to the old life. So we're never going to have this place where we've arrived but the danger is living a way in life that says, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm intentionally portraying something that is false. That's where Jesus brings this tough warning here this morning. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, in your outline, I hope this is helpful. I, I, for me, whenever I go to a seminar, whenever I go to a workshop, if I go visit a church, I got to write things down. I'm a little ADD. I get a little distracted. So when I write it down, I remember it. So if I just in the seat back in front, I want to encourage you to write these things down. It's really important. Jesus is coming, draws a line that forces us to choose. Well, I'm not really sure. To not decide is to decide, Right? There is no middle ground. So I want you to choose total surrender today. Second is the consequence of that choice may cause us to lose relationships. That's the reality. It's just, it's going to happen. It's okay. It's all right. If we analyze weather patterns to order our life, how much more should we pay attention to the signs of his second coming? This whole context of the 12th chapter is that Jesus is coming back. And, and, and what Jesus is trying to communicate to the people of the day is, I'm here. I'm standing right here. 
Yes, I will return, but for the moment, I am here before you. I am God, and I want you to know that. I want you to receive me. Salvation is free. This whole section here, these 10 verses, is really a centrality of the gospel. It's a gospel call. It's, it's a call to come follow me. And sometimes it's harsh words. Sometimes it's truth that doesn't feel very good. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather much be in a meeting with somebody. We just lay all our cards out on the table. The worst way to have a meeting, the worst way to have a relationship is when you feel like people are holding three cards in their back pocket and you don't really know what's going on. Or you one day you walk into a friendship or working relationship and you don't know what you're getting. Just chuckle and hide. Man, just be yourself. And when we make a mistake, just own up to it. Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. And I don't, I don't mean that to scare anybody. I want you to be wholly surrendered. It will cost you everything. Jesus may not take everything away from you, but it'll cost you your heart. Everything that you thought dear to the world, you have to be willing to say, Lord, it's all yours and I trust you. I, I guarantee if you give everything you have, everything you are to Jesus Christ, knowing that you may lose friends, you may lose some family, you may lose something of this world, he will replace it with so much, you won't be able to, to, to contain the floodgate of blessings he'll bring in your life. This is hard teaching. Jesus, would you agree? This is tough stuff. I have come to bring fire. I have come to bring division. He wasn't saying that to scare. He was saying, this is truth, and I want you to know the blessing of following me. What my, my, my greatest fear today for us as believers is, is what they are calling now flexivegetarians. Have you heard about this? It's a real term. You can Google this, flexivegetarians. These are vegetarians that have bought into eating no meat and vegetables and all that good stuff, right? But once in a while, they'll have bacon. Once in a while, they will have some steak. Once in a while, they'll go through the drive-thru at Carl's Jr., give me that famous star cheese, everything on it. Once in a while, they'll have the meat. These are new vegetarians, folks, and there's a war between the classic vegetarian and now what they call the flexa-vegetarians. Oh, my gosh. We have flexa-vegetarian Christians, Come on, brother, help me preach this. You're the only one with me here today. <laughs> Jesus never watered down truth. And what he's saying is, I don't want you half in and half out. I don't want you to flex. Well, not really with Jesus today. If he says, I want you to forgive, you forgive. If he says, I want you to be kindness and love, I, I want you to walk the way my son walked. There is no, well, I'm checking out today. Love, humble yourself, kindness, all those things. There's no flux of vegetarians at MVCC. We're just making that declaration right now. You with me? Amen. Holy surrender to you, Lord. Holy surrender. Jesus didn't want a fan base. He wasn't looking for fans. He wasn't looking for somebody to wave the flag and say, yeah, I'm with you. On the ship, two miles out, there's a buoy and Jesus is out there on the cross by himself. Jesus, I'm with you. Well, it's safe here. I'm diving in to be with Jesus. I love Peter. I love Peter who, who stepped out of the boat and risked everything of what he knew to be safe. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for people that'll say, I'm all in. And we get lukewarm. We can become flex. And I'm not really sure and kind of cooling off. There's a, a ship in 1938 that was built called the SS America. Those of you that might be veterans here, you, I'm sure you'll know about this. William Francis Gibbs built an $80 million ship, Navy ship. It carried 15,000 troops, held helicopters and planes deep below, 
tanks, the fastest ship on water, traveled 10,000 miles before it needed to refuel. The problem is that the SS America, you can see a picture of it here if we have it, was built for war. It was built for battle. Later, it became a luxury liner. 19 elevators, five swimming pools, and three movie theaters, and three bars. It became something it was never intended to be. When you got saved, listen, to those that have given your life to Jesus Christ, when you got saved, you were built now for war. Because the enemy now is against you. You have a real life enemy and he's not going quietly. And I think what happens is we cool off, we get complacent, we get into that flex of vegetarian thing. And well, we just sometimes I'm just going to dabble into this. And sometimes, it's, you know, a little bit of sin is not a big deal. And you were built for war and you've got to decide I'm staying on the battleship. We've painted these walls great. Have you noticed when we had the pandemic, God provided funds through your generosity to, to redo this place? It was intentional to do it gray because I wanted it to be battleship gray. Every time you walk in here, we are in a battleship. But sometimes what we've done is we've said, well, I'm on the cruise ship. Can you give me a little more lemonade? Hey, staff, I need a little bit over here. The air, the air flow is not good over here. I, I want it comfortable. How come the seats aren't a certain way? And we all of a sudden find ourselves on that cruise ship, and it was never intended to be that way. Now, I'm speaking to some of you that have been following Jesus for years, and he wants you to step out and say, I'll give you everything, God. Whatever that looks like, God, I'm willing. The church doesn't cater to me. We're not po politically correct. We're not here to get good vibes. We're, we're not here because, well, we don't want to say the R word. We don't certainly want to say the R, the repent word, because that'll scare everybody off. People went and saw Ghostbusters back in the 1980. Turn or repent, you know, the whole thing. And we get scared of that word. That word is so freeing. Because, you know, when you do something wrong and you get it off your chest, you feel so much better. And when you tell someone that you know you can trust, and they're not going to slam you and condemn you, and they say, hey, brother, I know I'm with you. And they put your, their spiritual armor on. You feel better about that. That's where God is with us. I want you to repent, man. I want you to turn. I want you to decide and don't look back. Now he says here in verses 49 to 50, I have come to bring fire. There are four different looks at what fire, what he meant by that. We don't have time to get into all of it, but the context of that text, we have to be careful when we read the text that we read in context. Does that make sense? So the context of this, verse 4, 5, 8 through 10, 20 and 21, 35 through 48, he's talking about the wrath of God is real. Judgment is coming. Now, Jesus didn't say this to scare everybody. He was trying to include the entire human race. But what would it be like if you were in a class and the professor said, we're going to have a test on Thursday, but never gave you the study notes, never gave you the material? Well, you're on your own. Jesus gave us the study notes. He gave us the material. We know what's coming. And if there's anyone here today that's not sure, you know what, Mike? I don't know. I've got to be honest with you. If, if I was to leave this earth today, something tragic happened, I don't know. I really don't know where I would go. You can be absolutely sure. Because right here, right now, most important thing we're going to say here this morning is God loves you. So much so that he demonstrated it by giving his life. And to show that he was not just some other religious leader, on Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. He is God Almighty. He is the great I am. Amen. 
And what he's saying to us today is there's a strong warning that the wrath of God is real. But even the disciples didn't catch this vision and what Jesus was speaking about. You remember when James and John in Mark chapter 10, James and John come up to Jesus and I can imagine them kind of coming up and they're kind of, kind of just, you know, they're just, Jesus, we need to talk to you. We need to talk to you right now. And they put their hands in their shroud and then they take it out and they're kind of nervous and kind of stressed out. We, can we just talk to you sideline? Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, because I know you've been talking about this, you're going to set up your kingdom, your throne in Jerusalem, and we're with you. We want to be your right and your left. Remember that? We want to be in your glory. Jesus, we want to be on the council. We want to be big time. We want to be Instagram, Facebook, YouTube channel. We want to be with you. And Jesus' response, you don't know what you're asking for. Have you been baptized with the baptism I've been baptized with? That word baptism which we just read about here, is to be completely submerged, to be completely covered. And his reference is, you don't know what you're asking because what you are asking, and just months later, Jesus, remember when he died on the cross, there were two, on, one on his right and one on his left. What you're asking me, and I'm asking you, are you willing to suffer for me? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow me? Are you willing to stand up when no one will stand up? Are you willing to surrender everything to me? And the reality is when you do that, sometimes there will be people who will reject you. I have lost friendships that I thought were going to be forever. I'm kind of an idealistic type person. I just think, well, when you become friends with somebody, you're friends, your family, your brothers, your sisters, forever. But that's just not reality. One of the hardest things, I think, following Jesus is the people that are the most close to you sometimes can be the greatest heartbreak. That's what Jesus is saying. I, I know father against son, son against father, mother-in-law against daughter. I know some of these relationships are going to get rocky. I know that there's going to be some separation. But you hang in there. You keep, you keep your eyes fixed on me. Don't fear what man can do to you. People may turn. It's Okay. They turned on me. Judas. Peter, I'll die with you, Lord. I'll go to the cross with you. I never knew him. Three times. Listen, what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning, and I hope you just put this in your heart, your soul, everything in you is... Are you willing, am I willing to be submerged into everything he wants? Whether it's glory or whether it's suffering. He goes on in verses 54 to 56 very specifically about to now the religious people who should have known better. They know the text. They know the scriptures. You see the weather patterns. You know when there's going to be a storm that's coming. Remember when there was this uh, nine... Uh, emergency call on our cell phones that this storm last week was coming in wind and rain and lightning and thunder I was like cool we get a little bit of, of, of the midwestern storm in SoCal I was so waiting for that and I saw the clouds coming over past my backyard area and these dark clouds were coming over we know when there's a storm coming 
And how can you not, knowing that, how could you not know, again, to the religious hypocritical people, Jesus was not chastising those who were fallen. He's now talking to the guys who were saying that they followed Jesus, but they were intentionally being uh, hypocritical with their mask on. Jesus is saying, how in the world, when you know there's a storm coming, you know the weather patterns, you should know who's standing before you. That's what the text, the context of this is. It, it's, it's a reference, yes, to the second coming of Jesus, but he's really in this context saying, I'm here now. I'm right here before you. How could you not recognize it breaks the heart of God when those turn away from him who know who he is. The reality, brothers and sisters, is this. Judgment is coming. The wrath of God is real. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for a person to die once, then face the judgment of Christ. There is no reincarnation. We don't come back. There's no second, third, fourth chance. And I'll tell you what, I'm so glad that it doesn't happen that way because I know me. I couldn't get it right on the third, fourth, a hundredth chance. I'm glad I get one shot and Jesus made it all possible that we get to escape his wrath. Aren't you glad for that? Romans 2.15 says this, but because of your stubbornness, Pastor Mike, let's start with you, your stubborn heart, you, your unrepentant heart at times, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Before I met Jesus, I didn't know. I was just doing what I wanted to do. I mean, I knew right from wrong, but I didn't know the impact of what I was doing. So when I heard the gospel, when I heard the good news that Jesus saved me from all that, I'm in. One more, Revelation 16, 1, if you're taking a note. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on earth. Good news is, Jesus Christ came to save us and redeem us, to save us from all that. Now you may say, well, why does God have to exercise his wrath? Because the Bible says we are sinners. We've blown it. We've, we've made mistakes. We have run from God. We have rebelled against him. And there must be a consequence of that. God would not be a good God and true to his word if he says, well, you know, boys are just boys, girls are just, you know, come on in. Everybody just come on in. He would be going against his word. In Hebrews, it says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. None. There had to be a price. And so when Jesus looked at you and he looked at me and he looked at the people over Jerusalem, when Jesus literally tears from his eyes as he looked over the people of Israel, saw them as helpless without a shepherd, his heart breaks and bleeds because he knows what we are destined for. And that's why he came to save. I, w- I was just sharing a few moments ago before service started with one of our worship members. I said, man, I just think Sunday, every Sunday morning we gather together, it should be the biggest party on the face of the earth, man. I just th- we're here to celebrate God, celebrate the fact that we're saved if you've received Christ, celebrate the fact that God is good. He's going to teach me something this morning. I'm going to hear from God because I want to get out there in the battlefield and get in the war. Because there are souls at stake. There are people who are lying on the roadside lost and dead and destitute and he's called us to be the healing touch of jesus to people who so desperately need it i'm glad that my sister didn't say well i'm saved that's good enough for me she was hounding me she kept asking me come to church come to church come to church little did i know that she was at her bedside she prayed for me every night didn't know at the time when i found out with tears in my eyes that she did all that for me because jesus had so changed her life she wanted everybody to know 
This gospel call that he's talking about is so glorious. It's so, it's, it's, it's the best thing ever. I don't know how else to say it. It's, 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 it's even hard to put it into words how good God is and the gospel saves us. And that's what he's communicating here. He's not browbeating and stick us in the sand and leave us there. He's saying, I want you to repent, but there's a coming wrath. I want you to escape that. And I'm here to tell you the truth. I have already saved you. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone to come to repentance. I don't know if you heard of this guy. He's been preaching for years. Last name is Renneke. Went to Africa, a crusade in Africa. Catch this. I didn't realize this until I heard this this week. Two million people, two M million people came out to hear the gospel. Two million people. Thousands of people at the end of his good, uh, uh, good news message like Billy Graham crusades, thousands of people started coming and giving their lives to Jesus Christ that entire week. Two million people came. Why? Because they're searching. They're looking. There's got to be something more. There's got to be a reason for why I'm here. There's got to be a purpose. I must be of some value. If God loved me that much and laid down his life, I must be of some value to God. I matter to him. And at the end of that week, there were press around him and all those that were asking questions, writing up what a glorious week it had been. The question from one reporter was, why do you think this happens here in this part of the world but doesn't happen in the United States of America? And here's what he said. Because they were on their spiritual edge of their seat. Can we just do that a second? Can I just ask you? Can I just ask every one of us? Come on, I want you to, if you physically can do that, I want you to be on the edge of your seat. Do you feel a difference? I know this sounds corny, but let's just do it, all right? When you're on the spiritual edge, you're, you're attentive, you're ready. You're ready to get up and do something. You're not just, yeah, bring me some more lemonade. I'm on the cruise ship, 19th floor elevators, or all that stuff on the, on the ship that we wanted. Jesus is saying, I want you to be on the edge of your spiritual seat. I want you to be ready to go. I want you not just to hear what I'm saying, but I want you to do what I'm commanding you to do. 2004 Olympics. Did you hear about this guy? Matthew Edmonds is an American sharpshooter. I don't know if you heard about this. He was one shot away from the gold medal. And all he had to do was hit one shot through the center of that target. He fired and it hit dead center. But it was the wrong target. He accidentally was aiming the right side of the car target next to him. I thought about that and I thought, that's what these religious people were doing. They were shooting at the wrong target. I don't want that to be of us. This is a strong warning to make sure that you're, you are so absolutely sure with your eyes fixed on Jesus and fixed on the word and fixed on the gospel and what he wants. Your business, I love your business. I gave you your business. I gave you your family. I gave you your children. I gave you the one that you're dating. I gave you the education. I, I helped you to make that money to pay for your education. I gave you all those things. That's not why you're here. Those are things that I've given you so that people might see the gospel in you. In you, in you. So what do we do about all this? 
I think Jesus is crystal, crystal clear in his teaching here. Don't you agree? Verses 49 and 59, I'm locked on, baby. I, I got, Jesus, I, I see what you're saying. And I certainly don't want to be left behind in that place of falling by the wayside. So number one is this. He came to start a fire. You start one. Stop waiting for somebody else to do something. He's, he's put something in your heart, hasn't he? Jesus always starts with a spark. He's a gentleman. He'll come up and he'll start a spark in your heart that will lead to a flame that will now consume an entire area, just like he wants to consume your whole life. And God puts something in your heart. Start something. Don't worry about the controversy. Don't worry about if you hurt somebody's feelings. You give them love. You give them kindness. You give them the gospel. There are people in our life that we've been holding back and waiting to share our faith story with. And maybe the Lord is saying, I want you to wake up and tell them the story. They may not have to tomorrow. I've already been to tomorrow, Jesus says, and they may not be there. Time is short. There's got to be the sense of urgency among my people. I'm returning, and we are getting so close to that return. We talked about that last week. Do you remember? And Jesus is saying, wake up, church. Wake up, follower. Wake up, Christian. Wake up, my friends. I want you so much to understand the signs of the times. We are closer. I want you to start something, man. Light a fire in somebody's life for Jesus Christ. And that may look like I need to go back and make some things right with someone. I need to stop fighting and I need to start loving. It may mean, you know, I've been slacking on the job and my boss knows it and everybody knows it and that's not a good witness. So tomorrow when I go into work, I'm going to give my very best and I'm going to have the best example I can be for Jesus Christ. Whatever that looks like for you, start a fire, baby. Just start one. Rub those sticks together. Rub those rocks together. Get those things going and start something. The Holy Spirit will do something that you, you're just stepping into what he's already doing. Number two is this. He came to bring division. Remember, we read that. that it, it, he doesn't delight in that. He's just saying that's a consequence of what's going to happen. People are going to have to choose. Don't fear what people do to you. Don't be afraid. You know what I've noticed? Is it as long as you are doing what's right with the right heart and communicating the best you can, people come back around. Some people come back around. And when I look at it this way, my whole life was in rebellion against God before I met him. And if he is so patient and kind and loving toward me to save me, then how much more should I be patient with those around me. God, I thank you for the clarity of your word. I want to say, Jesus, thank you for bringing fire and reminding us that one day you will come and there will be fire. There will be judgment. Thank you, God, that you saved us. You've already provided the way out. God, thank you for that. I thank you for the reminder today that not everyone's going to stand up and walk with us. Some that are going to walk away. And God, thank you also for the reminder that you are here now. And you will return. And we long, we long for your appearing, God. God, as we move into this time of just quiet reflection, help us to center down, God, and 
to this time of remembrance. As we remember those who lost their lives on 9-11, we remember, God, the most important. You laid your life down so we could be saved. And so today we honor you with this communion time and remembering the cross lifted high up for everybody to see. Through your humility and your obedience, we remember. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's in the seat back in front of you some communion elements. This is just, Jesus gave us something physical so that we could remember what he did. So I just want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, we don't have to be perfect. Nobody is. Saved by God's grace. You can have some time, just some quiet time, to reflect on his love and sacrifice for you. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.